Crack Talk listeners, it's getting hot, and you need to take advantage of the Drink LMNT free offer. Get electrolytes without the junk. You can get a Drink LMNT sample pack for $5 shipping. It's got six different flavors. Check it out. If you don't like this stuff, I will personally refund your money. Electrolytes without the junk. DrinkLMNT.com slash Let's Run. Link in the show notes. And you can check out in less than one minute. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. This is Jonathan Gold, your boots on the ground, live from Eugene, shortly to be joined by my bosses, Weldon and Robert Johnson, the co-founders of Let's Run.com. We are going to be recapping a wild first four days of the US Olympic trials and previewing the next four, which begin on Thursday. What was the biggest surprise so far? What craziness still awaits us? We'll talk about the Kenyan Olympic trials and how it's possible that we could be having an Olympics without Donovan Brazier or Timothy Chariot. The two world champions in the 800 and 1500 meters does not look like either will be in Tokyo. We know Brazier won't. And guys, if you like the podcast and you haven't joined the Let's Run.com supporters club yet, there's no better time than now. We've been doing daily recaps every night after all the action going on in Eugene. We're giving you the scoop on and off the track. And these podcasts have been subscriber exclusive. We've gotten some rave reviews from them. So if you want access to that, plus exclusive features like articles, discounts on shoes, lots of good stuff, sign up now at letsrun.com slash subscribe. Robert, Weldon, I've been talking to you guys a lot this week, but there's no two people I'd rather talk track with. How are you guys doing on this Wednesday morning, day two? It's our second rest day in the 10 day Olympic trials. Doing amazing, Jonathan. Good to be, glad to be here. Glad to have you do an ad read. I don't think you ever promote the promotional aspect of the website. Good to see you on board, but you do, you missed the proper label for this podcast. This is the halftime edition of the let's run.com track talk podcast halfway through the trials, but what a trials has been. I'm glad to have gotten a little bit of sleep last night, staying up to two, three 30, and then having to get up the next morning at like seven for a kid is tough, but so much to talk about. I can't wait. Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. I guess after four days of track and field, we have to rest. It's it's the equivalent. I'm not sure if I just offended or complimented our super religious followers, but I'm going to be out in Eugene. I can't believe it's tomorrow, John, that I'm there. I mean, I'm super excited. We The first half of the trials was... We had, it was just the epitome of the Olympic track and field trials. We had some great performances, and then the one shocker, Donovan Brazier not making the team. And that's the beauty of the American trial system. There's no gifts. There's no head starts. You line them up. The gun goes off. You make it through all the rounds. If you're not in the top three, you're not on the Olympic team. So a world champion, American record holder, Donovan Brazier, he'll be watching the Olympics just like me and you. Well, actually, not like you and Robert, John, because you guys will actually be in the stadium, but he'll be watching like me on TV. Well, we'll, Rob, we'll be in the stadium assuming Robert can find his passport because this this 
Getting to Tokyo, this is the most paperwork and most complicated system I've ever had to follow to cover anything. And one of the things you need is passport number to submit these Olympic activity plans. And I call, I set, I call up Robert last night. I'm like, you need to send me your passport. And he sends me a screenshot of a passport that expired three years ago. <laughs> I'm like, Robert, this is not going to fly. You are not going to fly with this pa- passport. Can you send me your new one? And he's been looking for it today. I, I hope he finds it because you need a passport to go to Japan right now, Robert. John, this would be so epic if it can't go because of it. It just would be, oh man, I would hold it above him forever. But hey, I see something here in the notes that Sarah Hall needs a rental car. Should we go there right off the bat? I'm not sure. Has she gotten a rental car? I don't even know what this means, but I just figured when we're doing logistics before we delve into the trials. Yeah, just I was on Twitter this morning doing research for the show and Sarah Hall said her rental car reservation was canceled. Because there's a national crisis. Basically, the rental car companies thought they were going to go bankrupt last year, so they sold all their fleets, and now there's a shortage. So she had a reservation, and since, I guess, people just didn't return it, so it was canceled. So she's wondering what the Lyft and Uber wait is. John, do you have an update on that? Like, have you been using Lyft and Uber? When I got to the airport, there were no Lyfts or Ubers available. Uh, or there's no Ubers. I, I had to wait for a while. There were no cabs there either. And then finally, like a cab showed up. I was a little worried, but they basically said there haven't been, once the students leave, there aren't that many, a lot of the cab drivers in Eugene just stop working because there's not as many fares. The problem is when you have a big event like this in the summer when there's no students on campus, there's going to be a shortage. So I managed to get here all right. I'm sure we can work something out. We'll have some listener in Eugene will be able to help out Sarah if worse comes to worse, but uh, it's not an ideal situation. Wait. I'm relying on an Uber to get from Eugene to Portland Sunday night after the trials. So if any Electron visitor wants to drive me, I'll probably be doing the live post-race video show in the back of your car. Shoot me up, Weijo at Let'sRun.com. Wait, you were going to Uber to Portland, Weldon? It's my only option, I think. I don't trust some bus. But can, can we turn to the action in Eugene? Do we want to look forward? I think we have to look back before we look forward. But we got some barn burners on Thursday. I mean, the first round of the women's 800 is crazy. The U.S. is the deepest country in the world at 800 meters. We have 43 women in this field, and we go from 43 to 16 in one round. I thought you said we're going to look back before we look forward. We are. Forward immediately. I'm just wetting people's appetite before we look forward. Because a lot of times people are bored about previews and that sort of stuff. But we've been having the nightly shows for subscribers. So join, as John said. But we're going to... Tonight's show, we're going to give a sort of bigger picture, big surprises, you know, what's going on with the trials. But I, I think once we got to start once again with Donovan Brazier. Yeah, I don't know if I have any extra takes after we spent the last two days on our subscriber-exclusive podcast breaking down every angle of this Donovan Brazier situation. I just think it it's just totally wild. Like you said earlier, this is the beauty of the American trials, that you may be the world champion and American record holder, but you got to show up on the day and he didn't, he didn't, and he's not going to Tokyo. And, you know, there are people, the name Steve Holman was brought up about Brazier. You know, this is his second straight Olympic trials flame out. I'm not sure that's totally fair because there, there's a debate about exactly how healthy is right. He is right now, but obviously that, I mean, that has to be the biggest story of the first four days of the trials. Without a doubt. But look, I think this is 
really important to point out. Someone on the message board said, look, he wore different shoes in the semifinal and final. You're not going to switch, shift, shift, change your spikes unless you're worried about your foot. So he downplayed the injury. As I've said to people, you need to watch his post-race interview. It was a thing of beauty. He said, look, I, he, he refused to make an injury as a good excuse. He said, you know, I've had some setbacks, but nothing that a champion shouldn't overcome. So he wouldn't use that as an excuse, but I think his fans are willing to use that as an excuse. And I, what's interesting here is moving forward, what happens to him? He said he probably is not going to run the 1500. The more I think about that, I think that's the right call. As a fan, I would love to see it. It would be so cool to see him try to scrape on that team. But uh, I was going to say, is there any chance he could possibly even make the team? Or if he does make it medal? I would normally say no if Timothy Chariot was in the race, but maybe if it's a tactical race, I still don't think so. I would say no. I just think he's getting in the way of getting healthy. And I really want to see him return to form and get that confidence back at the end of the season in the Diamond League. I don't want him to sit out the rest of the year. Um, so I, I just I don't know what happened, though. I mean, but I, I think that one thing we need to remember is why aren't you allowed just to have a bad race? I mean, it was 12 days before the final that Isaiah Jewett almost didn't even make the NCAA final. And he has run a PR in the NCAA final and then another PR. So, you know, one of the stats that I came up with was Jonathan Brazier, though, he'd only run 1-800 before this, 145 flat. That's okay. It's a great season over for most people. But he had not run a non-championship 145, I think, since 2017. So that was kind of slow for him. It's, you know, hindsight's 2020. Oh, something's wrong, blah, blah, blah. You know, we don't know. But we'll get into the Kenyan trials soon. It's not like he's the only one that came up short. Timothy Chariot's fourth. And we're talking about having the, you know, Brazier's not going to the Olympics. There's no reason why Timothy's chariot's not going to the Olympics. Athletics Kenya could put him on the team, and stupidly they haven't done it. But, oh, yeah, the, the Steve Holman, you know, comparisons aren't fair because Brazier has done it on the world scene. Steve Holman, his, his whole career, could never do it on the world scene. He would run 350 in the mile every summer and then fail to make the U.S. team even when U.S. distance running sucked. But... I just, I don't know, man. I, I Halfway on that backstretch, I was like, one of the big three is not going to make it. Which one is it? And then I'm like, oh, my God, it's going to be Brazier. Well, the thing is, Robert, like, we, you asked me, I think, or Weldon asked me, a day before the 800 final, did I feel worried about Brazier? We know that in 2016 at the trials, he went out in the first round. 2017 Worlds, he didn't make the final. 2018 World Indoors, he got DQ'd, like, He'd come up short in a few in a number of high profile race, races, and I thought he's in a different stage of his career. He's beyond that, you know. He hasn't lost an eight hundred in over two years. And then he says, "I didn't really go into the final with a plan," and he ends up getting dead last and jogging across the finish line. And again, we said the injury might be a thing, but then this is going to be something people bring up. They're going to say, "Wait a minute, yeah, he ran he ran incredible in twenty nineteen, but then he also." He was back. Was he back to his old ways in 2021? Again, I don't think that's totally fair because of the injury, but that's something people are going to address. But I don't understand, Robert. What is your rush to get this guy back racing? You really think that winning some Diamond League title, which he already won last year, is going to be some sort of like salvage this season? Let me just take you back to 2018. Okay, Diamond Brazier's injured coming out of the indoor season. He he doesn't race at all over the summer. And guess what he does the next year? He has the best year of his career, and he wins the world title in an American record. 
There is no reason for him to be rushing back to run some freaking Diamond League meets if he is not healthy. He needs to take the time to see specialists, to get whatever is bothering him healed, and make sure that when he comes back for 2022, because we're, we're 12 months away from the world, well, 13 months, but it's an early world championships next year outdoors. It's in the middle of July. So there is no reason for him to be rushing back to run some races in Europe this year. That's not going to prove anything. He needs to make sure he's 100% good to go for 2022. Robert's like, oh, he needs to run, get back to racing, this sort of stuff. He sounds like he's very injured. I mean, that's my biggest takeaway. That's why he didn't make the team. And Robert's like, oh, why didn't people... You know, runners can have an off day, blah, blah, blah. World champions like that, they almost never have an off day unless something like that happened. So unless he either totally choked it or was pretty injured, that's the deal. I mean, Robert mentioned Jewett. Jewett's off day, he still made the final on time. Brazier had nothing the final 200 meters. So that was either nerves or he just sort of bombed, really crossed the line and just kind of bombed out. Come on, Jewett ran 148 at NCAs. You don't think, if Brazier had tried, he could have run a 148 in this race. And you say champions don't have off days? Well, Timothy Chariot just did have an off day. Fourth at the Canyon Trials. Exactly. Fourth. Not just complete disaster, the final 200 meters. Tying up, looking terrible, that sort of stuff. And he limped off the track afterwards and said I had some sort of injury. So I think I think it's going to come out in the next couple of days. There, there's more to this injury than anything else. Not only is this the halftime edition of the Let's Run.com track talk podcast it also is the rojo victory lap because basically everything that i've said over the last month few months and years i mean people listen to the podcast for my hot takes because they're accurate not only are they entertaining they're also accurate and i've don't know if you guys have bothered to do this but i've taken up back in i think it was april right at the end of the indoor season maybe it was actually earlier than that on this podcast we predicted who would be on the olympic team I imagine you guys have not bothered to tally that up. I have because I am winning the running warehouse prediction contest. Well, not overall. I'm in the top 10% overall. But in the HEPS group, which is the group that John Weldon and I are all in, I am in first place because I am so accurate in my predictions. But I've gone through the predictions, John, and I know some people think that John is the brains of the podcast and he helps. He's the real journalist and he helps Weldon and I you know, with the fact, but John's kind of like, just instead of having to Google something, I can ask John for a fact, but he doesn't really understand. It's like a computer. It's not a human. He doesn't understand the nuances of the sport (laughs) and the computers of the sport. Cause I've added it up folks. Men's 800 Rojo picked two of the team correctly. Bryce Hopple and Clayton Murphy as did Weldon. John, you only had Hopple women's 1500 Rojo. We all got one. We all had every early period. 5,000, I got Swizer and Cranny. We Actually, we all had that, but 10,000, I had Fisher and Kincaid. Jonathan had zero of the team on the men's 10,000. I didn't pick Fisher. I guess I didn't know he was running it. I can't believe that. Anyways, at the halfway point, it's Rojo 7, Weejo 6, and Jonathan Galt 4. All right, but Robert, let's, all right, let's go to the prediction contest. Robert's acting as if he's some divine expert, and the scores right now... Robert has 34, I have 33, and Weldon has 32. So clearly he's just way out in front there and that he, he's some divine expert, right? And Yes, people. And this is the Running Warehouse Prediction Contest. They always sponsor a contest. They've probably been sponsoring a contest for like 10 years. There's a reason they're the leader, an online specialty running. Get your running shoes at Running Warehouse. Free shipping both ways. 
two days. So you can get shoes, try them on, they don't fit perfectly, send them back. Don't like the color, send them back. You like the color, great. So thank you Running Warehouse for always sponsoring our contest. And I think the $200,000 first place perfect prediction prize is gone. It's usually gone by the first event. <laughs> so Robert and I can rest easily knowing that that money's safe. I assume the distance perfect pick thing is gone too. Whew. Exhale, Robert, exhale. And I love how Robert just comes on here and tries to praise himself. But I guess our visitors and listeners are used to that by now. Well, next week, I guess I, I kind of wanted to hit this real quick because Robert, as we know, is obsessed with the weather. Have you looked at the forecast for next week, guys? Or the, the end of this week? It is freaking insane. The, the, the high, okay, here are the highs starting on Thursday, which is the next day of competition. 88 degrees. Friday, 91 degrees. Saturday, 100 degrees. Sunday, 102 degrees in Eugene, Oregon for the Olympic trials. USATF, right now, the women's 10,000 meter final is still scheduled to be run at 6.44 p.m. on Saturday on a day that it's 100 degrees. I, I assume if anyone at USATF has any sense whatsoever, they will be pushing that race forward to Saturday morning because right, the conditions in Eugene right now you know, the high is supposed to be 84 degrees on Wednesday, but I'm sitting here right now. It's 59 degrees. It's usually rather cool in the mornings. I, they've done this before in 2015. I remember they moved the 5Ks up to the morning. I'm just, I assume USATF is going to do this or else they're endangering the health of all these women's 10K runners, making them run 25 laps in 100 degree heat. That's crazy. Yeah, 100 degrees, I think they won't run it. 10K, I mean, it's just nuts. And, wow, I didn't know it was going to be that hot. I mean, that's the crazy thing with Eugene, because a lot of America, I say you can't really have the trials. I mean, you can have it. They had the trials in 1992 in New Orleans. It's just, like, hotter than hell. But, you know, in Eugene, if you have stuff early in the morning, you can change, hopefully get better running conditions. And I, people, someone might argue, hey, John, it's going to be hot in Tokyo. Don't we want to mimic those conditions? I mean, is it's going to be 100 degrees during the... They're not running the 10K final at 6.44, are they? I mean, I think there's there's a... To a point, it makes sense to hold trials in uh, in warmer conditions, but you don't want it to be a death march. You don't want it to just be like the heat is the determining factor on who makes the team. I just think that's overkill. You want to send your best athletes and trust that they'll be able to compete. I'd rather send my best athletes than send someone who might be a slightly better heat runner, but we're banking on it being the same exact conditions and really, really hot in Tokyo during the distance finals. I'd, I'd rather just send it, ha- have this race in the morning. I'd feel more confident in that team we're sending. Well, I, I don't even want to watch the women's 10,000. I think it's a disgrace what USATF is already doing for this race. So I, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense that we can't have two. We've got 50 competitors. Put them in one damn heat. It's insane. You're supposed to compete for the Olympics in one race. The people in the second heat, do we have the heat? How, how, do, how are they breaking up these heats? It's not right. And everyone qualified for that race, they're supposed to have an equal chance for this. So now in a 100-degree heat, it's, it can make a huge difference. If they do move it up or whatever, well, who gets to go last? Who gets to go in the cooler weather? You know, and everybody, it's not hard to put 50 people in the same track. You have like an 800-meter stagger, a mile stagger. Figure it out. 
and do it. Oh, you want a one mile stagger in the Olympic trials final? It won't even it? need that, John. You could you you could have a one lap stagger, and I guarantee those girls would be separated enough; they'd be fine. It's, I mean, come on, we we have three hundred people start the NCAA cross country race all at the same time. How is that a problem? Well, the course is a little bigger. The start list aren't up for that. I don't know how they're going to break that up, but they had too many qualifiers, and they said they're going to do two heats. The whole premise is this is about qualifying for the Olympics. So everyone should be having an equal chance. You could run 50 in one heat. They should do it. And also, like, Gwen Jorgensen had something on Instagram. She's made this meet. She was ninth in the 5K. She's the reigning Olympic triathlon champion. You know, switched over to running. Said the goal was gold medal in the marathon. Didn't make the marathon team. And in her Instagram post, she essentially said, like, hey, you know, I'm getting a little more perspective. Kind of big picture. Ninth place is good. She thanked Jerry Schumacher, that sort of stuff. But I sort of got the indication she she's not running the 10 from that post because she doesn't want to be in heat number two. So it, it affects things. I mean, not that she was going to make this team anyway, but I think if she was in the A heat, she'd give it a go. Just go run, see what, how you place. But going to run some B heat at the Olympic trials, like uh, I'm really against it. Well, who knows? We might have enough scratches that they just end up running one heat anyway. USATF hasn't really shed a lot of light on this situation. But all right, let, let's. We talked about Brazier. Anything else from the first four days that really stood out from to you guys? I mean, we had a world record in the very first final of the meet. Ryan Krauser obliterated the shot put world record. That was pretty cool. I thought the men's and women's hundreds were great. Anything that you guys want to talk about? Absolutely. What? Aren't we just? I mean, I didn't know we. I thought we were just kind of doing the intro here. I didn't know we were done with our first half talk. Well, I, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the opportunity. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Okay. Since it's, I love to rip on TV coverage and USATF. Let me get going here. We said before the meet, and this is before the Shelby Houlihan news broke. And by the way, some are calling John the doping apologist. I am not doping the, the doping apologist. If you haven't been to the website today, I've published, after one week of think, 16 questions that need to be answered in the Shelby Houlihan case. It's up on the website. It's getting a lot of traffic. I ask hard questions of Jerry, Shea, uh, Jerry and Shailene and Shelby, also of the lawyer, the agent Stephen Haas, but also USADA and WADA. I, I, no one really is looking good in this case right now. So just a lot of questions that need to be asked. But we said beforehand, look, like, look, the double isn't necessarily doable at Worlds. It's difficult. You could probably do it if you're really motivated. But USATF made the double impossible at the trials. And we said that's not the best way to pick the team. Like, what, what if a double, hand, Robert? The 1,500, 5,000 double. And we said that USATF should have set this up so that the same women, a Perrier or a Houlihan, could do both. And, you know, the more I think about it, like, congrats to Heather McLean. You will always say that you're an Olympian, but I don't know how in the hell she made this team. It's absolutely an amazing story. Like, first of all, I don't, I think a lot of people are like, how did she get in the final and the prelims in like a 409, 410 race? She's like tying up, seems to catch a spike right at the finish line and not finish in the top auto spots. Somehow gets in on a protest, right? John, you've looked for video of this. There's no real clear angle, but you basically thought she was just tired and didn't make it. That's absolutely what it looked like. There was some contact with Rebecca Mira, but USATF didn't rule a foul. I don't think they should have ruled a foul. They just claimed there was incidental contact. Since when has incidental contact 
I mean, I, I don't know. I, I thought, I guess I need to check up on the rules because I don't study all this stuff, but that to me looked like pretty clearly she, well, not pretty clearly, but it looked to me like she was just tired and she kind of stumbled and lost her balance and she lost out. But then she get, look full credit to Heather McLean. She gets in the final. She runs the race of her life to get this third spot on the team. So, you know, two second PR, you got to give her so much credit for actually getting in the final and making this team. But this is the thing. Nobody could have predicted this. I mean, this is why the winning warehouse $200,000 never gets picked. I mean, there's no way she picked it. There's no way her coach picked it. I've looked at her stats. Coming into the year, she had a 405 PB. Then she ran 404 for 85, 404 85 on May 15th. And when she lost that race, she lost to Emma Coburn and Kate Grace. I wonder if Kate Grace now is kicking herself saying, damn it, I would have made that 1500 team easily. Um, but maybe not. So she runs that on May 15th, John. And then I'm shocked. She goes to a meet later than this. I think it was the Boston meet you were at, John, right? You were at the race. Yeah. What was the date on that? She runs a race in Boston and she got beat by Josette Norris, who we all thought was going to make the 5,000 team. Josette Norris spanked her right before the trials by four seconds. Josette Norris, 406. Daniel Aragon, 408. Dana Giordorna, Dartmouth fan, is 410. Heather McLean runs 410-47, losing to no one who's even came close to making the 1500-meter team. Goes into the Olympic trials, doesn't run well in the semis, and yet somehow is an Olympian. So just it's kind of a crazy, amazing story. But if they had made the 15-5 double, like doable, I mean, Josette Norris might have been in that race and beaten her. Um, Heather... Uh, Kate, well, Kate Grace could have done it because the 15-8 double is doable. So it's just kind of interesting. You know, it's like so many people define their careers, whether they're an Olympian or not. But, you know, Timothy Chariot and Donovan Brazier may never be Olympians. <laughs> That's pretty crazy that neither of them have been in Olympics. But the thing, the other thing about Heather McLean, that's not the craziest part of her story necessarily because her whole story is basically crazy. Like in college, she went to UMass. She's a Massachusetts native, so... Bay State represent. And she she was decent. She was like an 800 runner. She made it to NCAAs as a senior, but she had like, she'd get pneumonia a lot. Like she wasn't, she was a little, she got sick a decent amount in college. And then she runs at USA's in 2018. She doesn't make the final. She's just walking around the concourse at Drake Stadium in Des Moines. And she has a UMass backpack on. And that catches the eye of Paul Doyle, who is one of the most influential agents in the sport and also a UMass alum. He sees that and they start talking. She barely even knows what an agent is. Like she is not familiar with the professional running world at all. And he essentially, you know, they sit down in the stands. He says, Hey, if you want, I can represent you. You know, I can look into getting you some meats or whatever. And he starts talking to her and her coach. And he realizes, Hey, this, this could be a diamond in the rough. This woman's got some talent. He starts getting her into some meets in Europe. She starts lowering her PRs. She eventually gets a, a New Balance deal. And now she's with New Balance Boston and Mark Coogan, who, by the way, coached two of the three Olympians in this event. They went 1-3. I mean, I know Jerry Schumacher's athletes went 1-2 in the 15, sorry, in the 5K and the 10K. But, you know, for New Balance Boston, they're not quite as high-powered as the Bowman Track Club. To go 1-3 in an event at USA's is pretty incredible. But, yeah, then Heather McLean, she starts training with Mark. She has this breakout year right at the perfect time, 2021, runs the race of her life in the Olympic trials final. Like to get on the team, it's just, it's a pretty incredible story. But you got to feel for Shannon Osika because she's probably looking at this and thinking, I've had a better year. I'm a better runner, let's be honest. And she shouldn't have been in the final, and I'm not in the Olympics. And what's interesting is she kind of 
again, full credit to her, but she backdoored her way into this. And we've talked about this before, more with the men's race. Like, could someone besides, you know, we've got the big four of Centrowitz, Nagus, Hawker, and Ingles. Could someone else make the team, you know, Kessler or whatever? And I said, yes, because somebody can run from behind. They're not obsessed with getting top three. They don't expect to get top three. They run more within themselves like Jenny Simpson always does. And then they end up on the team. The reality is Heather McLean tied up over the last 300 meters and still made this team because all of the big players tried to go with Perrier and stay close to the top three, and they blew up. Here's McLean's split. 65-9, 64-6, 63-1-8, and then... The final 300 is 48.36, so she's slowing down to like 64 pace on that thing. Yet she's more than a second behind Shannon Osika at 300, and Osika could only manage a 49.5 um, for the final 200. You know, a lot of these women, Danny D- Danny Jones totally blew up 53.2, Jenny Simpson 52.3. I mean, Sinclair Johnson 53 seconds, Nikki Hiltz 53 seconds. So the pace was hot early. A bunch of these women tried to run basically four flat shape when they couldn't do it. Um, and it was kind of just interesting, you know, Shannon Sika has run four flat, but it's a little bit easier maybe to do it from the slow side and then kick it in instead of getting a little bit in over your head. So, you know, she, she did make the team, but, um, well, congrats to her, but I, I... Okay, Robert, a couple things. You said they cooked it, you know, too soon. Of those women you mentioned, only Danny Jones was... Danny Jones and Shannon Osika were ahead of her at, at the bell. I mean, Osika was a decent amount, second, over a second, excuse me, not at the bell, with 300 to go, more than a second ahead, which is, is a pretty good amount. But Jenny Simpson was cooked with 300 to go. She was already, let me see my math here, two seconds behind, not of the leaders. This is two seconds behind of Heather McLean. And Nikki Hiltz, who was already five seconds back. So they were done. John, you get that I used the day correctly there. Well done, Rob. Uh, well done, well done. That's the first time for everything. I meant they, plural, but, you know, it worked both ways there. <laughs> yeah. And, but while you guys were, were, I also figured out what happened. Heather McLean had a bad, you know, subpar prelim, great final. Do you guys think she had drink LMNT between the prelim and the final? It's my electrolyte of choice. Everybody, if you want electrolytes without the junk, no artificial flavors, you can have it. You can like check out in like 30 seconds. You got an iPhone and Safari browser. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. For $5 shipping, you get a sample pack. I think there's six different flavors in the sample pack. It's great. Very easy to drink. John, I'm bringing it out. With this heat, we need it. We need it. Mm. Also, free beer to the first 10 supporting club members who come up to me and Eugene. Wait, wait, I would like to interrupt here. You, I, I listened to that on the VIP subscribers podcast yesterday. You're offering free beer. If you don't drink, that's fine. He'll buy you a Coke, an orange juice, non-alcoholic. I Actually, when I had my month of sobriety, I was drinking the non-alcoholic beer. We don't want to encourage you to drink if you don't drink. So, All right. Good good PSA there, Robert. I, one more thing of heartbreak. Um, for, I'll say for, for Michigan fans and for Coach Mike McGuire – because this is the second straight Olympic trials a Michigan runner has gotten edged out for the final spot on the women's 1500 Olympic team. It was Shannon Osika this year. And it was Amanda, Amanda Eccleston back in 2016. And they were both, they were both, it was like less than a 10th in both spaces, both cases. So 
got a feel for them getting so close but not getting on that team. And the reason I was quiet for so long was I was searching for Robert's favorite thing. I, I didn't know what I was on YouTube trying to find breaking news. I don't know how Robert does it. While this podcast is being recorded, guys, the Scottish guy, the fake Josh Kerr, has called back while the podcast was recording and just left a voicemail. We'll be playing that at the end of the show. Because, John, he's got that thick accent. I can't understand half of it, so I need you to translate. That will be at the end of the show. It's pretty good. He calls out Rojo. You know, he he, he wins on shows because listener audio gets the free on shows of the shows. Excuse me. On shoes. <laughs> Because the road to the trials on let'srun.com has been sponsored by On the On Athletics Club. We're profiling their athletes. So far, they're bringing at the trials. They're one for one. Joe Clacker made the team. You can listen to the, our podcast with Joe if you look in the archives. Leah Fallon cruising to the final. I mean, who would have thought she'd have a good chance of making the team? Then we got Alicia Monson coming up later. I mean, it's looking good so far. Yeah. Brands, companies. If you're out there, I've said this before, if you want good things to happen to you, you put in a sponsorship of, of Let's Run.com. For, a brief, for only $1 million, you too can have an Olympian like On Athletics Club did. And before that, it was Hoka last year. What happened? They had a woman win the trials. So good things happen. You know, God's up there. And he's like, who's sponsoring Let's Run.com? And then he rewards you with good things. When that happens. Also, Wellen's going to play the audio. I'm going to play. I'm going to read the craziest email of the week. It's related to the Shelby Hulian case. There's a lot of good conspiracy theories out there, but this is by far the best. Right. Or at least more interesting on that front. Robert, you said $1 million for the on sponsorship. Last week, it was $2 million. Are you embezzling funds from the Let's Run Kitty? Wellen, are you okay with this? Yeah, well... So on sort of went for the like trifecta package. We said if all three get on, it's two million, but they wanted to do a little less upfront money. So I said, okay, we won't have them win the race. You know, we'll put Joe on the team. Do you guys want to do guaranteed winners up front? You know, we only can guarantee one or two winners, or do you want to go trifecta? And they're so they're going for the trifecta. But all right, listener audio of the week. I you guys get to determine if this listener gets the free pair of shoes. Usually it's guaranteed. It's a pretty good prediction, but here we go. Let's run. Track talk. This is Harrier Stew. This is my hot take for the women's 1500. It's going to be a new balance sweep. No Nike. No Adidas. Courier first. Simpson second. Heather McLean third. New balance sweep. The fuel cell NDX is the goat of spikes right now so what do you guys think no question this guy gets the shoes he picked heather mclean to get third and he called the new balance sweep now granted it was Corey mcgee instead of jenny simpson second but yes absolutely i also think he gets the shoes because he's, he's a supporter club member so you give supporter club members the benefit of the doubt harrier stew he's always got some good hot takes so the free pair of shoes will be your way. That is if Robert actually texts you. As you'll see with Scottish Josh Kerr, Robert may have not gotten in touch with this guy yet. He's sort of wondering. He's really excited. He loves on shoes. He wants them in his mailbox. 
Okay, John, you, you said it was a great day for the New Balance Track Club, but is this actually a stain on Mark Coogan's career, the coach of the New Balance Boston team? He used to coach Corey McGee. She dumped him and then went on to greater exploits under team boss. I'm kidding. I love Mark. He was in Ivy League at Dartmouth when I was at Cornell. But it is interesting. Normally, you know, I, I, I've been sending a warning shot out to all the Drew Hunter fans that when you switch coaches, not necessarily do you have a good result. Look at Alexa Aframson. She dumped her longtime high school coach, the one who gave it, God brought her to, to great success, and then is now even worse under Pete Julian. So we'll find out in the years to come whether Timmon was the problem for Drew Hunter or not. But in this case, her moving away, you know, going to altitude, whatever, it could all play a role. I do think one thing that's underrated about altitude to me is, you know, there's less stuff to do. There's less partying. There's less social life out at these places than there is in a major city like Boston, D.C., when Weldon was there back in the day. You know, Weldon moved to altitude and ran a lot faster. And, and I always like, okay, altitude help. He's living a monastic lifestyle as well, though. He's not – there's no social life. He's got nothing to do except for run. Well, Robert, do you not think in Boulder, Colorado, they, a college-age student or someone under the age of 30 can't find enough to do? We're Flagstaff now. When I was in Flagstaff, there was like four of us. Now there's like, I'd say 40, but the number is much bigger than that. I mean, there's just tons of U.S. pros there. There's plenty of stuff to do, plenty of ways to like go entertain. But I, I do wonder that, about that. Corey McGee, right, she wasn't at altitude before. Maybe she's a huge altitude responder. And she had huge props for Coach Joe saying, you know, he's the first coach who's ever understood me. He's going to go down as one of the greatest distance coaches of all time. I mean, it was just like, whoa, that's big words. Yeah. Robert, I, I think your point, one of the cities where it does apply is Mammoth, because I've talked to people who trained in Mammoth, and they're like, hey, there really isn't anything to do here other than train. So uh, that it might apply there. I'm not sure about Boulder and Flagstaff. But then the other thing, I mean, Robert, you kind of was like jokingly, you know, ripped Coogan. Hey, yeah, he left her group and then made the Olympic team. It's kind of interesting. I ran into Mark, um, you know, in Eugene the other night and he pointed out he, uh, he has coached four of the top five women in that women's 1500 at one point or another. He coaches Ellie and Heather McLean. Now he used to coach Corey McGee and the fifth place, uh, Helen Schlachtenhofen of Dartmouth. He recruited her to Dartmouth and was her coach for three of her four years at Dartmouth. So um, I found that pretty interesting that four of the top five were at one point coached by Mark Coogan. All right, enough looking back. Let's look forward. Although it's been fun to look back, but we've been looking back every night. We haven't really been looking forward. The events, so let's look forward to the Olympic trials. Then we can go back and look back at the Kenyan trials. We haven't talked about that. I've got some stuff I need to say about the Shelby Hulican case. A lot more to get into. This is going to be a long podcast. But moving ahead, we have the – what are you most – I mean, obviously, I I think if if we look back at things, I would say that – Obviously, the Brazier thing was the biggest shock, but the, I just love the women's, the men's 800. I just love the 800, period. That's the most exciting event to me because tactics play a role. It's over so quick. Everybody's in it with 200 to go. So moving forward, the event I'm most going to be looking forward to um, on the women's side is definitely the women's 800. Um, that's going to be just amazing. Like, Think about how exciting that's going to be. So but let's just remind people what we have. We have the women's eight, the men's 1500. Absolutely amazing. Both steeples, men's 5K and women's 10K. But back to that 800, you just, we're going to have Ajay Wilson, 
and she's been so good for so long. She's been clearly the best 800-meter runner in the world that wasn't intersex for, I don't know how long, four or five years probably. And this would be her theoretically her time to shine. But we thought that in 2019, and she didn't win the gold. Raven Rogers didn't even win the silver. Raven Rogers got that silver. Raven Rogers though, hasn't looked good. And then we've got the breakout star, Ah Thing Moo. So, you know, when we re- next record this podcast in one week from now, could Ah Thing Mo be one of the faces of women's track and field in this country? I don't want to say the face because you still got Allison Felix up there. And I really think the face of women's track and field. And I, again, this is why this is the ultimate victory lap for Rojo because everything I said is going to be true. When was it? A few weeks ago, a few months ago, I said, this woman is posed to make so much money. And we're talking about Shakari Richardson. She's going viral. She's going mainstream. People love her. The authenticism of her. Michelle Obama is now retweeting her interviews. If you haven't heard the interview, Lewis Johnson, I think we should actually include it right now, did an amazing post-race interview. And this is one of my things when I complain about, you know, the broadcasts on these things is because a lot of times they have these people in the wrong position. Sometimes Lewis is doing like play-by-play or color. That's not his specialty. He's great at doing interviews. And check out his interview with Shakari Richardson because he reacted on the fly very well. Unbelievable. <laughs> the fact that I am an Olympian, no matter what it said or anything, I am an Olympian. A dream since I've been young. I'm pretty sure everybody's dream as a track athlete. So... Being happy is an understatement. Being excited, nervous, all of those feelings. Proud and one. I'm highly blessed and grateful. We'll talk about the race in a moment, but just the rush to get up the steps to see your family, your grandmother, your dad, your mom, everybody. What is that? What did that mean? Because my family has kept me grounded. This year has been crazy for me. Going from just last week losing my biological mother and i'm still here what did you say you lost your mother i'm still here last week finding out my biological biological mother passed away and still choosing to pursue my dreams still coming out here still making sure to make the family that i do still have on this earth proud and the fact that nobody knows what i go through everybody has struggles and i understand that but y'all see me on this track and y'all see the poker face I put on, but nobody but them and my coach know what I go through on a day-to-day basis. And I'm highly grateful for them. Without them, there would be no me. Without my grandmother, there would be no Shakari Richardson. So my family is my everything. My everything is to the day I'm done. Shakari, unbelievable. We offer our deepest condolences on your loss, as well as our congratulations on what you accomplished in the midst of all of that pressure. Thank you. You okay to say this? See you in Tokyo? Oh, Tokyo! Okay. <laughs> Shikari is so real. And, and, and Shikari, I'm sorry that your biological mother has died, but she's just so real and authentic, and I think a lot of people love that. But, you know, and I... People love youth and the next phenoms and whatever. And that could be, I think, Mo in the women's 800. So we don't know. Like, she could easily flame out like Donovan Brazier did in two, five years ago in 2016. But she also, we, we've seen no sign of that. So it's kind of crazy because if you put her in the 400 at the Olympics, if Shelly, if Shawnee Miller Weibo actually runs the 200, I think Mo could win the gold medal in the 400. I mean, that's not crazy to say. 
Yet she's going back to the event that she loves, but there's a lot more risk in that event. So what will happen there? Will Ajay look good? And then who gets the third spot? I mean, you're saying like you're you're acting as if she couldn't win the gold medal in the 800. I mean, she could win that too. I I, I don't know. I mean, I think I mean I think our thing and Ajay are on the team. I feel pretty confident in that. But obviously, after the men's 800, you can't really know for sure. I think. But there are a lot of questions about who gets that third spot. Like Sabrina Sutherland's been running really well, NCAA indoor champion a few years ago for Oregon, and she, you know, she's run 158. Kate Grace has been resurgent at the age of, I think she's 32 now. You know, she's the defending trials champion. I, I think she, she could well be on the team. I just think she knows how to race, and she's very fit at the moment. So I like her chances. And then we've got the silver medalist from 2019, Raven Rogers who has not been running well, but there's no doubting her talent. And she's got, her face is on the freaking Bowman Tower at this stadium. Like she's running the stadium with her face on it. So that's a, little, that's a lot of pressure, but maybe it can also provide some uh, some inspiration. So I, I don't know. I think this is, it's a fascinating event. I can't wait to see how it all shakes out. But are you worried about Ajay? She's only broken two flat one time. This year, I mean, I, I think if she makes it, doesn't make the team, we're going to be saying about her what we did with Brazier. Well, her times weren't as fast as normal. You know, we were saying this after her first couple races indoors. I mean, and then, or I guess they weren't indoors, were they, this year? But, you know, she wasn't running fast, and then she got in a good race. You know, she runs 201 on February 13th. And then she, well, I know that's not that good of a time for her, though, but she won. And then she goes to Texas on February 27th and runs 158.9. But since then, 2.5.57, 2.015, and sort of these low-key races in Miramar, Florida. And those are those races were two months apart. She did run a 600 at the Reebok Boston Games, but she lost that. was spanked pretty badly by Manitoya Gold. So how high are you, is your concern for Miss Wilson, John? Thank you, Robert. That was a question I wanted to ask. Are you guys worried about Ajay Wilson? Now, Robert, the one thing you didn't point out, all those slow times were wins. But she hasn't run fast this year. Before I bring up other questions, John, are you worried? Yeah, I'm a little worried. I said this. Remember we had a locks article and I called her a lock and then I said I was hesitant to call her a lock and I'm a little concerned and you ripped me because those two things are inherently contradictory. So yeah, I, I am definitely a little worried and I think we're probably going to spend the first two rounds of the 800 playing the same game that we did about Brazier and Hoffel saying trying to overanalyze every single thing, saying, oh, how did they look? Did they go too hard? Like, I mean, sometimes you can glean some stuff from that because Clayton Murphy, remember, Clayton Murphy looked fantastic in the semifinals. And that kind of showed, hey, he might have something special up his sleeve. So I guess we'll have to see how Wilson looks through the rounds, what she says. But yes, I'm definitely worried. I'd say right now about a 5 out of 10 for Ajay Wilson. One other thing about Ajay. Raven Rogers is gone, her training partner. But her longtime training partner, I mean, have you guys been paying attention to this? Charlene Lipsy? She's terrible now. I don't, is she even in the trials, John? She's run 202, 205, 205, 2039 this year. She's not in the trials, which is insane because she was like seventh in the world in 2017. She had that one ridiculous year where she ran like 157 and what's one of the best in the world and has done nothing before or since. I'm sorry. We're going to have to do. I'm going to have to use this segue to go into the Shelby Hooligan talk right now because one no, thing that's not, really bothering no. me about the Shelby Hooligan. Yes, I'm going to do it. I, I get to do what I want to do. One thing that's really <laughs> bothering me about the Shelby Hooligan case is, is people like, oh, a white girl tests positive. Everybody, 
wants to, you know, people think everyone's defending it or not. There's a lot of people that are to get Shelby Houlihan, but can people stop making everything racial in this country? It's insane. Ajay Wilson, black woman. Jurian Lawson, black man. What happened? They both tested positive. They both got off for tainted, meat, tainted beef excuses, and nobody was saying, oh, it's because they're black that they got off. You know, race had nothing to do with it. So <laughs> these people that are trying to say that, oh, you know, Jonathan Galt is, is supportive of Shelby because she's white. They don't know what they're talking about. He was writing these articles about Jurian Lawson, you know, back in the day. But some of these people have gone full-blown conspiracy theory on this Shelby thing. When they, you know, and they think, and I don't blame the average fan. When I wrote up those 16 questions, one thing I did think about was, should I put in something to the average fan? Like, what keeps you being a fan? I can understand why some of them think everyone is doping. Because the only people that seem to get all, get the tainted beefs, you know, John Kelly saying, pointing to himself and saying me, um, is it seems like always it's always the star that's testing positive for tainted beef. So we're supposed to, you know, and then whatever. So Houlihan tests positive, and then if you're a fan, all of a sudden, wait a minute, Quigley's not running the trials, Jager's not running the trials, Lopez pulls up hurt. You know, to me, those are all signs that they're not doping. Because if you're doping, you're much more consistent. The fact that Jerry's runners are always hurt is a good sign to me that they're not doping. But I'm just putting this out there. But another person could look at this and say, well, Shelby, maybe Ajay was on drugs. Maybe Travis Tiger shouldn't have let her off with the tainted beef excuse. And now she and her training partners aren't running nearly as well as they were. What do you mean? Ajay medaled at Worlds in 2019. In 2018, she was the silver medalist at World Indoors. She was running great. The, the year... That she, or I mean, she got let off, I guess, in 2017, and that was when she ran, you know, her American record and got bronze at Worlds. But like, to say that she hasn't been, she was the most dominant 800 runner in the world in 2018 and 2019. To say that she's not running anymore well anymore after her case is just patently false. She's not running as well, and I can see why the average fan who doesn't. You know, he's not been around elite athletes, not coached a lot of athletes, thinks they're all dirty. I get it because the longer you could argue, the longer she's been away from that test, the more her, her, her performance has declined. Do I think that's true? No, but I've always said I'll always wonder more about a Bernard Lagat when he has an A sample positive, an Ajay Wilson, a Shelby Huan, no matter what the hell they do, Christian Coleman, etc. Is that fair? No, but that's, that's the world that, that we have in this sport. And I understand why these fans, some of them, I don't think it's rational, but I, I get it. Robert, it's easy to be the jaded fan, but the logic doesn't work. These conspiracy theories and everything. I mean, Renato Canova posts this out, and some of the stuff he says I don't think is that consistent, but it's like you run really well, then you're doping. Oh, you don't run well, you're off the sauce. So people construct, you can construct a doping argument for anything. The nature of the sport is we're very suspicious of everyone. That's just how it is. You kind of don't have the... And since, you know, the, you're not starting from an innocent thing. A stranger comes and knocks on your door, makes you drop your pants and pee in front of them while they look at your private parts. So th that's not like a presumption of innocence. And also the way this stuff also works is some people, we can get to some of these posts, I guess, in a second. It's like this things they don't care. These are banned substances. You're responsible if they're in your system and you're banned unless you can come up with an innocent explanation. So some people don't care at all. But back to Ajay. This woman's 800 is very fascinating because John's like, oh, Raven Rogers isn't, isn't running well, but Kate Grace is running great. Well, you know, I guess Kate Grace has gone sub two twice, but Raven Rogers has gone sub two this year. I mean, like, how are we sort of drawing the line here? And Kate Grace, oh, she's with Joe 
Bassard this year, so he's the coach of the moment right now. If he, if they, if, if she, I mean, she was an Olympic finalist last time, like at the Olympics, not the Olympic trials. She made the Olympic final, the Els finest. So I think uh, if I had to pick the team, I'm probably putting her on it, actually. I think she is running better. But Raven, I'm not discounting at all. It's not like she's been running 202s or anything like that. Right, but I'm drawing the line. Well, I mean, these two women raced each other at the Portland Track Festival over Memorial Day weekend, and Kate Grace beat Raven Rogers. So that's one of the reasons I'm more optimistic. But yeah, yeah, Raven, I mean, she actually, you said she hasn't been running 202s. Well, well, actually, her first race of the season, she ran 203. That was that Oregon Relays race where, you know, the winning time was only at like 202, I think. But yeah, I mean, 159 and 159 in her last two races, but only fifth and sixth. She's going to need to be finishing in third or better to make this team. But remember, like, Raven was only third at USA's in 2019, and then she was second at Worlds. So I think she, I mean, you could argue she might even be more talented than than RJ Wilson. Maybe not more talented than a thing, Mo, but I think, you know, that those three are the most talented women, Mo, Wilson, and Rogers. But it's a question, the 800, you know, Brazier was the most talented guy in that race. He didn't make the, the team. So I think it's going to be crazy. Can we talk about the heats here? Because, Weldon, you brought this point up to me. If you look, So Robert's biggest gripe has been the Olympic trials. They only let in 30 people to the, to the 1500 fields. And we go from 30 down to 24 in the first round. And actually, this year, we only had 28 people because we had some scratches. So you're eliminating four people. Whereas the women's the women's eight hundred, you have forty three people getting into the field, and there's only sixteen spots. They're only running two semifinals, not three, like they do at Worlds, so or the or the Olympics, and so it's a brutal cut down process. It's only the top two in each heat plus six time qualifiers advance, and it's also kind of again shows how ludicrous it is that the, we only accept thirty people into the fifteen hundred. USATF said, well. You don't want to have one event where it's unbalanced and it's easier to get into the trials. Well, guess what? That already happens naturally because you guys can't set the stand. It's hard to set the standards sometimes in a way that you're getting the exact same number of people for each event. But yeah, the 1500 is harder to hit than the 800 standard. So now we have 43 people going down to 16. At least it'll make these first round heats interesting. I mean, when top two are on the guarantee, it's going to be fun to watch. Why don't they just get rid of the standard entirely and just, just do a descending order list? Say so we're going to take the top 45 women and everything, top 45 100 runners, and, 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 and counting scratches. If someone scratches the, the night before the race, we're putting someone else. If you're in Eugene, you're into the race. Yeah. It would make it better for the fans. I don't want to hear about how tough these heats are. I'm glad they go to a 16-person semifinal. I think there's a better way to do it because to go from 24 to 8 is really arbitrary. But look at these heats. I mean, there's only – in all the heats – there's only a maximum of two people with the Olympic standard. Two in the first heat, two in the second, one in the third, one in the fourth, and two in the fifth. Now, I, I would say that the fifth heat is, is the most stacked heat because you've got Raven Rogers in it. You've got Case, Kate Grace. You've also got Aliyah Miller, the NCAA Indoor Champions, and Nia Aikens of the Brick Beast has been running well. So, you know, but you're taking top two in each heat plus the next six fastest times. So the 800 doesn't – that does make me nervous at Worlds when you go from 24 to 8, but particularly these women are used to just going out and time trialing it. So I don't think we're going to see anything shocking in these heats. I was When I heard that there was that many people, I was thinking, oh my God, there's going to be like a heat of death. And I look for that heat of death and I don't see it. Yeah, they're pretty balanced, but I, I do think it'll be exciting. And I guess, yeah, Rob, I mean, 
it is interesting. What's the perfect setup for an 800 format, you know, a, a global championship? Because we always say 24 down to eight going from the semis to the final at Worlds and the Olympics is tough. But that's also what makes those semifinals amazing because only the top two people are guaranteed. So you have a lot of drama. You sometimes have total studs not even making it to the final. So I don't know. I, th- I think this is going to be a fascinating event. But you know, anything else in the women's 800, that's not the event I'm most excited for in the second half of the trials. You guys can probably guess, but it's, it's the men's 1500 for me. One more thing on the eight. All of these women in the first round, you just better go out and make it a 158 race. If you're thinking, oh, I'm just going to sit and kick and get in the top two, I think that's just a really bad strategy. Really bad. That's what RJ Wilson did in 2016 at the Olympics and uh, didn't work because she had two of the um, intersex women in her heat. She finished third. She didn't make it fast and she didn't get a time qualifier. I mean, that was a little bit harder there too, right? Because there you're thinking there's only two time qualifiers. Here there's six time qualifiers. So... If you make it a 158 race... Well, how many people in this... There's like two people and three... There's like four or five people maybe who could run 158. That's not going to like... I don't think that's smart to go out and run. If you're one of the best in the field, you need to go out and make sure... Do not go out in 60 seconds. I'm just saying that. Take it out in 58 seconds. Take your chances. While we're talking about the 800, I want to talk a little about international 800 before we get to this men's 1500 at the trials. Um... At this meet in Poland last week, the Orlean Janusz Kuczynska Memorial on June 20th, you guys see 20-year-old Friwani Halu. This is the woman that shocked everybody. She was fifth at World Juniors in 2018, the 800, had a 404-20, 1500-meter PB before the Ethiopian trials in Ostrava, and then she ran 357 with a 60-second last lap. She's run this race in, in Poland. She blew out 157.57. So this woman could definitely medal. If they want to put her in the eight, they want to put her in the 15, they want to do both. This woman is a major medal threat, so we need to take an eye on that. Also behind her, Katriana Bissett of Australia set the Australian national record. Congrats to her. 158.09. In the men's results, folks, my boy, the guy that I made the video for, Patrick Dobey. I don't even know how to say his last name, D-O-B-E-K. He has run 143.73. This is the guy that picked up the 400 hurdles right before European indoors and won the title. He picked up the 800 right yes. before European indoors. He was a 400 hurdler. I will link to the my video that I made about him in the show notes if you haven't seen it. Check that out. But also, let's talk briefly about the Kenyan trials. I mean, we're saying that now that we knew Brazier was in trouble, but the Kenyan trials, I mean, the Kenyan trials in general are kind of a shit show. Like, it's amazing that David Monty of Race Results Weekly, who has the results of every race in the world every week, he did not have full results from the Kenyan Olympic trials on Monday. He's like, I can't find them. So they don't even have a website. So is it a surprise that they, like, can't figure out how to put Timothy Chariot on the team? They have an alter- They have an optional spot who they're going to pick. And the guy that hasn't lost a race, the guy that won the Doha Diamond League, finishes fourth, they don't put him on the team. So... Kind of a shit show. And the shit show continued in the men's 800. For some reason, they had, what, 10, 12? How many guys were in the final, John? 12 people in the final, Robert. I actually, well, I wouldn't say they're full results because the final only lists 10, but I have, like, close to full results I have obtained of the Kenyan trials if you do have any questions. No, Tillisopcha has them. So I, I went through the results there, and it's interesting. Michael Saruni wins it, the former UTEP uh, NCAA indoor champion from, what, 2018? 
He wins at 145-81. Ferguson Rochek, 145-93. And then Emmanuel Correa, who was even better than Saruni, the, I think he's run 141. 142.05 is his PR. Yeah. He gets third. So they had way too many guys in this thing, but the cream rises to the top because they were way ahead of fourth. What was interesting here was I didn't see Wycliffe Kenyamal anywhere in these results. This is the Doha Diamond League winner early in the year. He ran 143. He was fourth in his heat. So he, the, the guy behind him was in the final. I don't see him in the top 10 in the final, so I don't know what happened there. But them putting that many people in an 800 final is a sh- shit show. So, um, you know, but it's interesting. But I'm, what I was saying was Brazier already raced Cerrone and beat him. So by the transitive property, the Americans are better than all these Kenyans. So... You know, I, I think Murphy, I, I, I am considering him the gold medal favorite right now, which is crazy, until I see something from Amos. And then, but we could have multiple medals in the 800. Hopple could medal if he gets it going, and even Jewett could, could, could potentially medal. So really, you know, interesting stuff. There were some other shock results. We've talked about Chariot. We haven't talked about Beatrice Chipkowicz. You know, I think I was on record in the show saying Emma Coburn wasn't going to medal. <laughs> I wish I could take that back. Chip Kowich gets beaten by Hyvin Kaying in, in, in the steeplechase. So that was interesting. Helen O'Beary gets beat in the 5,000. She gets second there, but she did win the 10,000. So, you know, so, so some interesting things. But in the, the, the men's 1,500, the guy that won it, Charles Sumitwo, I mean, this is, if you want to call a 332 guy a journeyman, he's kind of a journeyman. I mean, he's run, he ran 332 in 2017, 2018, 2019. I mean, he was like sixth in Monaco, fifth in Zurich, third in Paris, ninth in Rabat, 11th in Monaco. You know, nothing amazing. The thing you wrote about, John, is will a second placer be allowed to go? Kamar Aitiang. He's got a 336 ADPB coming into the meet. Run 33302 at altitude. And... You know, some sources have said you like. Has this guy been drug tested enough to get to go to the Olympics? Yeah, and I reached out to his agent Tom Broadbent, and I basically was like, "Look, you know, he kind of came out of nowhere this year. He's still a teenager. Um, he's eight, eight. Tom told me he's eighteen. So I said, you know, is he going to be tested enough? And he said they're working with Athletics Kenya and the National Olympic Committee of Kenya to try to handle the situation without a competition test. He's been named to the team. He's been ordered to report to training camp this week. They're going to take it from there. So sounds to me like they don't have the the requisite tests yet, but they're kind of hoping that in between now and the Olympics, he'll be able to be tested enough. And he would be the name that would concern me if you're an American fan or one of these, you know, or if you're even Josh Kerr fan or, I mean, the Brits have a hope, a metal hope, the Americans, the Australians, because he's so young. Could he rise to the top? You know, I, I I wouldn't be that worried about, the, you know, the other guys sort of making major dents on the medal. One other result there. We know that Edward Chesler at King Ches, the NCAA, former NCAA star Oregon, only, I think, eighth in the, in the 5,000, excuse me, in the 10,000, 28 flat in a 2701 race. But I was looking at their 5,000 results. Like, why didn't Ches run the 5,000? 1302 wins at Nicholas Camelli. But they just suck at the 5,000. And then 1305, admittedly, this is an altitude. So maybe Chaz couldn't do this, but third place was 13, 17, 43. So third place is 15 seconds behind third. So do you think King Chaz made a mistake? And where does he go from here, John? Like, what is he going to be motivated to do now? I don't know, man. I, my understanding was he was going to run the 5k. I'm kind of, I was kind of confused to see him line up in the, in the 10k. I thought that would have been his best chance. And what does he do from here? Well, 
I mean, we do have a world championships next year. You know, we have a world indoors and, you know, we know Ches likes running fast indoors and we've got a world championship. So I don't think he's, look, Timothy Chariot's career isn't over because he can't run the Olympics, but these guys, you know, Ches, I'd say get in some diamond leagues, try to be competitive see if you can get entered into some diamond leagues, run them, try to make a world's team next year. Don't like, yeah. Okay. You're not going to the Olympics. That's upsetting, but don't just you know he's not just going to give up his career he's going to you know try to keep running and i would also say the men's 1500 i think we need to revisit this for a second because we were talking about kamar etienne who was second charles tomato who was first it's interesting because look we know they have this discretional system where the third spot they can they don't need to take the third place from the trials but We've talked about this last year at the British trials when it came down to Charlie Rice or Jake Whiteman for the third spot in the British team. We said, hey, it needs to be Jake Whiteman. He was third at the trials. He should be named in the 1500. Well, the guy who was third at the Kenyan trials in the 1500 was Abel Kipsang. And he's actually been running really, really well this year. If you look at his times, he, look, I'm just, just hear me out here, Robert. He won five of his six races ahead of the trials. He beat timothy chariot at the trials he's run 332 333 twice including once at the trials like i'm not i still think if you have a discretionary system this is the situation when you use it this is when you take chariot and bump off kip saying but i just think we're always saying oh we got to let the trials results speak for themselves we got to you know got to go by the trials if he's top three and he has the standard they should go well guess what this guy was top three he has the standard he beat chariot fair and square in this race and yet now you're arguing that it's a tragedy that Chariot shouldn't be able to go. Yeah. I think Athletics Kenya should name him to the team, but you know, what about due process? What about the trial, the beauty of the trials here, Robert? What do you mean due process? I, do I think that every country that has the spots should have run a trials race? Yes. Top three and go. It's great drama. It's great for the fans. It's amazing. So that's America. That's not the system they have in Kenya. They have a system where the top two go and they get to pick the third spot. So to pick... I don't give a shit that he, Abel Kipsing because he's won a bunch of B races in, in Kenya. I mean, John, I mean, look at these people that are running these, like Ajay Wilson, she's beating up on nobodies in America. Of course, if you, you know, Chariots went to Doha in his only race of the year and wiped the floor of everybody in the world. He ran 330. This guy's never run 330 in his life. So just because this guy's winning, yes, he's running well. That's what makes it a little bit more difficult because it would be better if he was first or second than you would have just skipped over the third placer and put him on the team. I'm not denying that he's he's running well. I'm not denying he actually, we'll see. But if Chariot goes out, they're going to have some Diamond League races, right, John, between now and in the, in the Olympic Games? Is Chariot going to go to those? He goes to the Diamond League and rips out a 329 and we're not going to take him to the Olympics? That's insane. I have heard, Robert, from a few people that if Chariot shows fitness in these diamond leagues the athletics kenya sounds like there's a decent chance they will end up flipping the decision and putting him on the team so i wouldn't start popping champagne if i'm centro quite yet there's we may not have seen the last of timothy chariot he may still I, I, be on the I, I can't team. believe that you're arguing that the right call was to put abel kipsing no 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 that's not what i'm arguing i think if you if you have the discretionary system chariot is the call here i'm just saying like this is a guy he's He's probably trained his ass off to get to this spot. He finishes third at the Kenyan Trials. He beats Chariot. He says, look, I've been running amazing. I beat the guy you wanted me to beat, the, the world champion at the Kenyan Trials, and now you're not taking me? Like, 
I just think like you for Chariot to go, someone else cannot can't be an Olympian, and I think you got to have a little sympathy for that. If you want to be on the Olympic team, he should have finished top two to make sure that, he, that that he got on the team. You know, one one thing I would do is not, if you're going to pick the best team, you shouldn't hold the race at altitude, which is a problem. Can Nick is whatever, but one thing here, folks, Cole Hawker, Matthew Sintwitz fans, watch out for. Do you guys notice that the NCAA what third place or LA kept saying he's been doing pretty well? He flew over to Kenya after the NCAA meet and got absolutely destroyed in this race, ran 339.23. I mean, I, maybe it was jet lag or something like that, but I'm surprised he wouldn't be closer. I mean, he was six seconds back of third. Well, he was he was fourth at NCAA, so he was three seconds back of Hawker and Nagoose. I wouldn't be too worried about that. Yeah, I wouldn't read too much into that. I wouldn't say he's at their level. So, And he also he also just ran the NCAAs, which is tough. He had a one-week turnaround. Hawker and Nagoose going to have a two-week turnaround, and he had to fly back to Kenya in between. I mean, that's not that's not an easy thing to come back for. So I think that's our transition here to the men's 1500. And it, one of the interesting things about this, so Centro, I think we have to admit, he's the Olympic champion. He's the favorite. i got a couple things I want to say about him in a minute. But my first takeaway was I was at this – on athletics club event on Friday when they were in, or Thursday when they were introducing Sage Harter as the newest member, and I ran into Andy Weeding who works in the sports marketing at On, and I wanted his breakdown of the fifteen hundred. I was like, "What do you think? What do you make of this?" And one of the things he pointed out is just these college kids. He's like, "I know they're running really well. I want Cole to make the team. You know, we're both ducks." But he said that. The NCAA meet, it's an emotional meet. It's an emotional high. You've been you've put a lot of energy, physical and mental, into this meet. And it's tough to come back two weeks later and then perform at that same level and put all that same energy, uh, physical and mental, into the Olympic trials as well against these pros who, you know, they were just training through in when they were running at NCAAs. So that is going to be tough. Ken Cole Hawker, who just turned 20 years old early this month, and Yard Nagoose, who's running his first U.S. championships, can these guys ride that emotional wave of NCAAs and get back up and bring their A game at the trials? Because if they run like they did at NCAAs, these guys can absolutely make the team. But it's just a, it's a lot to hand throw at a kid who's 20, 22 years old. Well, forget about 22, 23 years old. What about an 18-year-old? What about Hobbs Kessler? He's run faster than them this year. Yeah, but I'm just I'm I'm just writing him off of him for making the team. I just think uh, I'm an 18-year-old isn't making the Olympic team. He's really good, but I think these other guys like he ran that. It was a look. It was a phenomenal performance, but he has no championship racing experience really outside the Michigan State meet. I, I just has he ever run rounds ever in his life? How dare you, John, dismiss the Michigan State? championship i mean that's it's the best in michigan uh, only lower peninsula though they don't include those upper uh, peninsula guys so the upper peninsula guys are tougher everybody knows that. Well, well ignore john's point and andrew weeding's point about the nca thing well first of all isaiah jewa just just did fine in nca's and not secondly I, this doesn't apply to year Nagus. year Nagus's season has clearly been geared to get everything right for the Olympic trials. He did cross-country and not indoor track. The focus has always been the Olympics for him. So I think he's ready to go. You know, to go. Hawker's been running a lot of high-level races for a long time, but you know, if you want an example of how you can continue to do that, Andrew Whitting is a good example of that. I mean, he ran his PR 
in what August of 2010 or July after a long NCAA season. Admittedly, he didn't run USA's that year because it was a, it was an off year. He didn't need to run. He just went to Monaco. But um, wait, didn't Weeding make the team as a collegian? Like, what's he saying? He he did make the team as a collegian, but he's saying, look, he's saying it's difficult to do. Like he did it. We know it's possible. We see college kids make the team. It's happened before, but. He has been through that process, and he's telling me it's difficult. You know, I think he, you know, he's a collegian in 2009, and I have to check. I think he made the team in 2009, but well, he made the Olympic team in 2008. I know he did, but that one, that one also, like, I just think he also went into the trials that year with no expectations. That wasn't like you know, Hawker and Nagoose. They're going to be training. They've been thinking for months. Hey, I might be on this team. You know, I have a pretty decent chance. And okay, actually, Andrew Weeding did not even run USA's in 20, 2009, so he did not make any world championship team. But for Hawker and Nagus, yeah, they've been thinking about this for a long time. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of mental and emotional energy has been spent about this meet. And I think they both have good coaches. I think they'll be. I think they'll be ready to go. I think they'll be contending. But it's just a lot to. It's a lot to deal with. I think this is going to be nothing for Hawker. You, you don't think an Oregon kid's going to be just the adrenaline rush of he looked great at NCAAs two weeks ago. He's got the hometown fans. It's an Olympic spot. Everyone's going to be wearing the Your Move shirts that we print, that we sold to the public. By the way, if you want one, too bad they're sold out. They'll probably be going on eBay for thousand dollars a pop soon. So this kid's going to get up for the race. He's going to be there. Just the reality is at least one of the following people will not be on that Olympic team. Sensowitz, Ingles, Hawker, and Nagoose. Oh, by the way, guys, have I told you? You're probably going to have someone crashing on your couch. Craig Ingles, high school coach, needs a place to stay. I've offered him your coat, your, your couch, John. I hope that's okay. That's fine with me if he wants to stay here. I'm excited because I've heard so much about this guy. He's coached, you know, he's like... The unknown Tinman hosts a ton of stellar high school guys. So I'm up for it. I'm up for it for sure. Robert thinks very highly of him. So I'm excited to meet him in post. He's got a, he's got a name. Chris Catton. Run CCG is the website or Instagram. Great coach. If you don't want to be coached by me, you should be coached by him. That's for sure. Um, we got to have to have him on the podcast, I think. I hate to tell him that his boy Ingles uh, – I've, I've tried to I've tried to preface to him a little bit softly by saying like, look, Craig Ingalls will be on the number at the end of the week will be on the same number of Olympic teams that Donovan Brazier and Timothy Chariot's ever been on their careers. So, so no, I was about to say let's break down this field a bit. For me, the possible Olympians are Centrowitz, Hawker, Nagus. Then those are probably my top three with Ingles four. I mean, you guys used to love Josh Thompson and that sort of stuff. I don't think he's ever even run the standard. He has run the standard. There, look, there are seven guys with the standard. I'll read those off. All right. It's Craig Ingles, Henry Wynn, Hobbs Kessler, Vincent Ciardi, Yard Nagus, Matthew Centrowitz, Josh Thompson. And then there are three more guys who are in position to get in off world rankings. That's Cole Hawker, Sam Prekel, and Johnny Gregoric. We have... Thompson down is three thirty five eighty eight. That's his season's best, but the window was lo- the qualifying window expands back to twenty twenty. He ran three thirty four at indoors in twenty twenty, I believe. Okay, yeah. So then I would throw in Henry Wynn and 
uh, he's been running really well this year. I think you got to put him in there. Well, John misspoke. Kessler's got the standard. I mentioned Hobbs Kessler. You said he had the world ranking. I guess all these guys, I mean, if you want to say Kessler's got a chance, you got to say Vincent Ciotti's got a chance. But I feel like there's a there's guys with the experience in the fast times. That's Ingles. The, I, you know, Nagus and them haven't run as fast, but they're like up and coming. They run really well at NCAA's Hawker. I mean, it really hasn't even run that fast. But anyone outside of those guys, I don't expect to make the team. I mean, that counts somebody like a Johnny Gregoric who's made teams before, but he's only run 336 this year. Well, yeah. It, well, it, here's the thing. So, look, I think there's a there's a can, there's a top tier, and that's Engels, Centro, Nagus, and Hawker. But this is the 1500. We saw it in the women's field. People can just kick their way onto that third spot. I think there's probably half a dozen guys who are in contention. Like Josh Thompson, he was only 11th in his last race, but he has a great kick if he's close to healthy, which I'm not sure if he is. But you know, he was third at USA's in 2019. He was the US Indoor Champ in 2020. So he's you know, he's there, but then you got, yeah, like Henry Wynn, he could be in there. Ciardi, I'm not really sure about. Kessler, like I said, I think just making the final will be good, but Gregoric, who knows? Ben Blankenship's a 2016 Olympian. He hasn't raced all year. He's been hurt. I don't think he's really a factor, but yeah, there are a bunch of guys who could kick for that third spot, but I want to talk about Centrowitz because people seem to like, maybe they don't forget that he's the Olympic champion, but you got to remember how good this guy is with his peak. I don't know if you guys saw it. Did you see his Instagram video from earlier this week? I did not. He posted a seven-minute video. It was a short film one of his friends made about him on Instagram. And it included the following quote. I'm pretty stoked about going to the trials right now. Almost probably fitter than I've ever been. So I don't know what almost probably means, but he's basically saying, he's as fit as he's ever been. And this is a guy who has won an Olympic gold medal, who has run 330, and who has won two world championship medals and a world indoor title. If he's saying he's like in the shape of his life right now, I think it's game over for the win. This guy's going to win the race. And, you know, with Cherry Hut out, maybe he could win another Olympic title. I mean, I think this is big news because Centro, he's 31 years old. Since his Olympic title, he's been pretty banged up. You know, he's had some some setbacks for sure. He said in the same video a year ago, I don't think I was even working out or training right now. He didn't race that much, but it looks like prime Centro is back and just at, at the perfect time. Well, John, I mean, that is kind of crazy. He's in the best shape of his life, but he's in the burrito track club now. I mean, what can you expect? Some would say, oh, he's glowing. I just love throwing those terms out. I just can't help myself. I, my favorite, my, we need to have a glossary of let's run.com terms. And glowing is gonna is like my number one. For those you guys who guys who don't know, when you, you know you're you've taken a banned substance and you test positive, that's when you're glowing. You know, it's like you're radiating. But I'm not. I think Centrowitz is clean. For the record, I, I think Centrowitz is clean. Well, first of all, I have. He's gonna. I think he's gonna. I think he's going to crush this field, and I can't wait. And I said, I'm going to take credit for it. When he makes this team, it's the fact that I made up those Your Move shirts to motivate this young man. So, do you got, well, do you have one? I think you have one. Should I, I, I kept like four or five here as a private stash, so when they do go up for thousands of dollars on eBay, I can make a profit. But should I ship them out to you guys? Because I want someone to throw him one on the, on, onto the track when he wins this race. 
So he's going to make the team. And I think we're going to kind of have a repeat of, of, of 2016. Look, the top four guys were way were, were significantly ahead of everybody. Centro, Andrewitz, and Blankenship, 334. And, well, Centro and Andrews were way ahead, 334, 334. Then Blankenship, 336. Then Manzano, 336. I just think the cream of the top is, is better than everybody. Y'all are sleeping on Kessler, I think, too much. He is very talented, but I, I really think if I had to go with the next two, I'm, I'm going to have to go with Hawker and Nagoose. And th- th- that's sort of th- the way I see it. But it's absolutely great that he's in this great shape and that he's this confident. So you guys raved about Craig Ingalls for about three years. I never did. Yes, you did. You guys, every time, acted like Craig Ingalls was like oh, John the next Doug. coming of Jim Ryan. And then Robert, for fair enough, has said Nagoose would make this team. So I um, see why you're hot on him. And Hawker's doing great. But like... I kind of was like dismissing Ingles, and now I think he's actually running pretty well. I mean, he won that one race, the race where everybody ran fast. Was that too much of a time trial? I mean, he's got good 800 speed. What's wrong with Ingles? Excuse me. I'm, I'm still raving about Craig Ingles here. I think he's going to make this team. He ran. He just ran his PR. He looked good. He made a smart tactical move in that race. What I, I watched the USA final, the last lap from 2019 again. Do you guys right, realize how brilliant Ingles ran that race? I mean, he had the lead at the bell, and then Centro tried to get it by him. And Angles just did a little hand fighting thing to protect the lead. He ran the shortest distance, and that ended up being key because Centro had to run a little extra, and then Centro lost by a couple hundredths. So I think Angles is an underrated tactical runner. He's run 146 low this year in the 800. He's run 333. Yeah. I, and he also he didn't have to go through that crucible at NCAAs and have all the, you know, the mental and emotional energy. Again, maybe you guys are overrating. Maybe I'm overrating that, but. I think being able to just train through that probably helped him as well. So yeah, I have Centro one, I have Engels two, and then I think it's the two collegians battling it out for fourth, for third, and I think Hawker wins that race just like he did at NCAA's. Yeah, I don't, I, we're not sleeping on him, but Hawker's run one forty six. He's run thirteen teens. I mean, he, he's quite good. By the way, did y'all see this well, yesterday in Oregon? I mean, they just threw up a meet and. Uh, uh, the Oregon 800 guy ran the second fastest time in, in Aussie history. John, help me out with the name. Charlie here. Hunter. He ran 144. I think it was 35. Uh, and yeah, this meet in the middle of nowhere in Oregon. Wait, where, where are the results? I need to see that. How is the 1500? I don't know. Yeah. It was all like international guys, mostly. It was people who aren't running the trials. I know. Did you guys know? Friendofletron.com, Nick Willis. His Olympic chances are in jeopardy. He had it easy on world rankings. Now people are running faster. He can't get in a race. But I texted Matt Taylor, the CEO of On, and said, hey, there's a race in Oregon coming up for Nick. Matt Taylor is not the CEO of On. What? Matt Taylor is not the CEO of On. Excuse me. CEO of Tracksmith. I like both companies. I know the CEO of both companies. Anyway, I told Matt, I'm like, hey, there's a race out in Oregon for, uh, I assume this is the one. Well, sorry, Matt. Uh, It's already happened. By the way, another thing you can say you heard it here first. Tracks has been advertising a lot on NBC and they're kind of going mainstream now. I've already predicted what's going to happen to Tracksmith. It just hit me the other day. They're an upscale brand. On's an upscale brand. Mark my words here. And Matt, when you're a multimillionaire, please give me a little bit. On Athletics will eventually, excuse me, On will eventually buy Tracksmith. That is my prediction. Okay. I was assuming it was going to be some you know, venture fund or some big company will just swallow up Tracksmith and Matt will make a tidy profit. Okay, guys, 
we got to get to the fake Josh Kerr audio. But before that, we're not going to preview every single event. We have the daily podcast shows for Supporters Club members. But on Thursday night, we also have the Women's Steeplechase Final. I think that does deserve some mention. I don't think it needs a lot of mention because I think we probably know how this one's going to go. Emma Coburn will win this. I feel pretty confident in that. Cordy Frerichs, I feel pretty, not quite as confident, but pretty confident she'll be second. I think the third spot is open up for grabs. And I don't know, Leah Fallon, back from the dead, she looked really good. I mean, without calling Quigley being there, there's just a lot more opportunity. I don't know what the debate is. Obviously, Fallon runs that wins that makes this team. She ran 923-36 in the prelims. She's a member of the OAC. The Road to the Trials has been sponsored by OAC. They're going to have a great meet. As I told you, all God is looking down on Athletics Club and going to put her on the team. Although, I'm sure some other fans don't agree with that. Um, you know, there's a number of women that are running the 920s, tons of them. And, John, Courtney Wayman, I mean, I w- it wouldn't have shocked me coming into NCAAs if she had busted out and run, like, 920 low at NCAAs and then made the Olympic team. She didn't run well at NCAAs, but she did get second in her heat, run a PB. So, you know, we've seen it in the women's 1500. You cannot rule out a ton of these women from having the race of their lives. I do think, though, it's a lot harder to have the race of your life in a hot-as-hell women's steeplechase. So I, I think that it's just going to be a matter of fitness. So you better be a good hot-weather runner. And Wait a second. Two days ago, Robert, you said this is definitive proof, the men's steeple prelims, that the heat doesn't matter at all in the steeplechase. And now you're saying it's a big deal and it's going to prevent these women from running fast. And and Thursday, it's also going to be the coolest day of the week, even though the high is still 88 degrees. You're just reversing course on this take? No, I'm not not reversing course. The steeplechase is the only event where the the weather doesn't matter. You can run fast in any weather. For some reason, they're not running long enough that it makes that big of a difference. They're not running that fast. They get cooled off in the water. Also, the women's steeple is slower That's than the men's. So it, it may have a it may have a, a slower idea. I didn't realize what day it was. I wasn't paying attention. I've just updated my dark sky. Can y'all see that? My God, I was thinking it was going to be the Sunday when it says 106 on dark sky for Eugene, Oregon. So it's 56 degrees in Eugene right now. It's going to be 50 degrees warmer. Unreal. So uh, yeah, I mean, we, we we can't predict it. If it's a slow race, if it, you know, Mahalo Norris has a good kick. It's just it's going to be interesting. Again, we don't have time to break down all these races. It's been an, already an hour and a half, basically, podcast. We'll be breaking down these races every night before they happen on the subscriber podcast. Go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. Wait, what about Grayson Murphy, though? She's the world mountain marathon. I keep saying mountain marathon. The world mountain champion. Supposedly, somebody was saying on her live show the other night that she was inspired to come to the track this year because she was getting slammed by so many people on Let'sRun.com who didn't give her credit. But she won the first heat. In a this was a PB of nine twenty five. Prior to this year, she never run under nine forty eight. I mean, she's really ramped it down. But also, like, look at her other distances. She was a fifteen fifty eight five k runner. Now she's run fifteen twenty five. Do you guys think she's got a shot? Of course she has a shot. She ran 925. Like, absolutely she has a shot. I, I'm with Robert. I think it's going to be Leah Fallon taking that third spot. But, uh, yeah, undoubtedly she has a shot. She's got the standard. She looked good in the prelims, for sure. You know, she was only six at NCAAs and cross in 20, I mean, excuse me, in, in the steeple. 
in 2018, but she did finish eighth in cross country the year before. So, you know, talented runner. So I'm surprised she's improved this much in one year. But again, this could be someone who's benefited a lot from the Olympic postponement, whereas like Centrowitz, but you know, it hurts someone like Brazier for sure. All right, before Weldon gets to his audio, I need to mention a few things I wrote down on my secret notes page. No one else has access to. Yet again, another victory lap. Do you guys remember during the height of COVID? And I said, you know what? Why don't they just bring back sports? I really wanted my sports to come back and have people go to this damn games, mask up, and not cheer. I said, you should bang the plastic drums or, or drums to make noise, but not cheer because when you yell out, that's how you spread COVID. Well, y'all laughed at me. Guess who thinks that's a good idea? The Japanese Olympic Federation. I will read from their party, from their new statement from this week. The Japanese parties have formulated guidelines for spectators aimed at ensuring safe and secure environments. These stipulate that masks should be worn at venues at all times. Speaking in a loud voice or shouting will be prohibited. So there you go, folks. The tra- fans that go will not allow to be cheered. John, it'll be fascinating. We, it says that fans can't cheer. Or it says speaking. That's for, that's only for spectators. Do they have a formal guideline for press not, not cheering? Because we'll be one of the few people. There's only 10,000 in the stands, John. If it's dead silent and you and I violate our press oath of not cheering in the press box, we could go down there and cheer for like Centro. We could wear red, white, and blue. Maybe we should become the fans. We could have coaches texting us because they can't go. Oh, my God. Coaches, if you need a right man on the ground, I will be the assistant coach to the American Stars. I can, you can have me. I can have you in your cell phone, and you can tell like Central, pick it up, and I'll tell him to pick it up. This is going to be amazing, John. They say I'm the one in the pocket of the Bowman Track Club. Like, yeah, you're just selling us, whoring yourself out here, Robert, as an assistant coach. I mean, as a, as a as a chief American fan, it's kind of disgraceful, to be honest. This is kind of crazy. I hadn't thought about that because during the COVID. What have people had with them at every race? Their coaches have been allowed. Your coach is there. Now at the Olympics, your coach will not be there. This will be very different for the athletes. So, wait, clapping's allowed but not cheering? This is just crazy. Why don't they just open it up and, like, John, do you have to wear a mask in Eugene? Like, what are the rules now? It's crazy. The whole thing with sports was COVID more is about a mindset than anything else. But, like, in New York now, no vaccines are required, no distancing, no mask. All of a sudden, we went all that's what's allowed here and we were super cautious yet in eugene they're still cording off tables at the track town pizza what are the rules there for the trials john for fans it's very unclear i've walked in i've asked stewards when i walk into the stadium do i need to wear this mask and they're just like i don't know um no one in the media section is wearing them and i've never i haven't been told by anyone walking around like i mostly walk around the stadium without a mask i'm fully vaccinated and i think that to get the media credential you had to be fully vaccinated so maybe they just sort of they see the like because they do they've been asking some fans for their covid vaccination cards when they walk into the entrance i go in but then they see my credential one guy was about to ask me for the covid card and then he saw the credential and he didn't so i think they just kind of know if you've been fully vaccinated you have the media card so you're all right but yeah um i haven't I really haven't been wearing a mask pretty much at all during this. I've worn it a couple of times during the stadium, but mostly no. Well, I think the Japanese are doing it right. Only 17% of their population is vaccinated. This is what we should have been doing in America. It doesn't make sense to have people yelling when there's COVID everywhere. It makes absolutely zero sense. Robert, you can go to Yankees game, no proof of vaccination to yell all you want. Yes, you can do that now because if you, in America, everyone that wanted to be vaccinated could be vaccinated, Weldon. So it's kind of on you if, you if you're worried about COVID. In Japan, that's not the case. 
if you're worried about COVID, don't go to the Olympics. How about that? I mean, that's the crazy thing. If you don't want to get COVID, stay in your house. It's just, it shows to me, John, like the European soccer. England has been very vaccinated, right? But there's like a lot of distancing. It just shows, it's not about science. It's about like what people think you should be doing. No one really knows the answers to these things. That's what I've been saying all along. It's like what the public will bear. England and the UK have pretty much, I think, similar vaccine rates. Yet in England, they're still spacing people out at soccer games. And I think well, requiring vaccination. In the U.S., certain states are like full-fledged open. Certain even liberal states, which were very conservative in COVID, others are still cracking down. Well, well then they're allowing 60,000 to the semifinals and final at the Euros in London next month. So that that's a, that's a big step. And there'll be 60,000 on hand to watch England finally um, – it's watch it finally come home and us win the tournament. So uh, that's great news. Oh yeah, John, I forgot. Like, you know, COVID respects whether it's like a semifinal or a final, and you can have sixty thousand fans for that. Just like <laughs> once the NBA playoffs come around, oh, all of a sudden COVID's good. Ten thousand fans. Oh, we had no all regular season playoffs. Oh yeah, COVID's fine. Ten, twenty thousand. Oh, twenty thousand fans now. It's it's you know. Oh, it's about the science. Well, they loosened it. They allowed more capacity in Eugene for the trials compared to NCAA's, and uh, that hasn't really had much of an effect. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, two, two points of order. Robert was talking about all the fans will be cheering for Cole Hawker. There haven't been a lot of fans. I'm hoping that will pick up. I still, John, you still haven't gotten to the bottom of the tickets. If you go on the app, it looks like there's no tickets available. Yet you watch on TV, it's empty. Yet 80 percent of the stadium is supposed to be no social distancing, vaccine only. So get to the bottom of that. And then Robert said, is everything about race now? Did you guys hear? Cornell, Robert, where you used to be part of the uh, staff, is now investigating whether black holes are racist. Something like that. <laughs> what? All over conservative media today, John. Big, big. Okay. that's that, that. I'm calling that we're getting off the rails there. We need to get back on the rails. because We have the fake Josh Kerr audio that we can use uh, and any voicemails of relevance. Yes. The... The rules will be, here are the rules. I'll play the audio, John, and then you will have to translate for us. Okay. Hi, boys. Speak Josh Kerr here again. Robert, I know you've been really busy here lately. Well, we shall be Hulahan's burrito. <laughs> I shall be a burrito. Sure. And then when the trial's going on as well. Donovan Brazier, eh? Oof, what was that? Maybe there's hope for Spencer yet. And speaking of Spencer... I saw a message poster on the world famous letsrun.com message board. By the way, Josh Kerr approved. Lots of great information and banter on there for running. Asking me to show Spencer more love. I love Spencer. He's a top man, but he's not very fast. And I think we can all agree a prerequisite for a professional runner is to be fast. They also mentioned we Ali O. Great to see her at the trials at the steeplechase. I hope she gets better soon. Gets well with our diet and runs up that ruddy great mountain there in Alaska as well. But Robert, I hate to perpetuate the stereotype. Where's my three shoes? You've no text me, pal. Come on, get the message my way. I'll get you my info. You get the shoes to me. I love running on clouds. I get two pairs of cloud surfers bend the house. Anyway, I'm going long. I don't expect to get on again. You know what they say. Today's front page is a modest fish wrapper. Just in closing, Jonathan, it's no coming him. And Robert, text me and phone Danny. Cheers, boys. We'll see you in Tokyo. 
There you have it, the fake Josh Kerr. John, I actually I understood most of that that time. What did he shout out to you at the end? Of? Uh, I actually didn't catch that either, Weld, and I was curious. I did like the the line that today's front page news is tomorrow's fresh wrapper. So I, I had a kick, got a kick out of that. Robert, get this man his shoes. Well, it was a brilliant. It was an elaborate plan by me. I didn't want to have to. I wanted to keep more shoes for myself. So by playing his audio twice, he's only going to get one pair of shoes. But we've we've done two 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 things of audio. Yeah, I, I I need to ship those out. It's been been busy few weeks for me. That's for sure. I but glad to hear from. Is he like an insider? He said, "See you in Tokyo." Is he going to be in Tokyo? Like, is he a Japanese Olympic official? It's kind of a strange accent for a Japanese person. They're not letting you know fans go in. All right, here we go. Craziest email of the week. This is from message board poster Mr. Trumpet 1991. I love the podcast. I love how all you do journalism. He has quotes there in quotes. So I listened to the entire press conference, the Bauman Track Club press conference, and something struck out to me when Shelby was describing the day of the drug test in detail. Did you notice how she mentioned she was at her then boyfriend's house, dot, 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 and how they engaged in small talk? She specifically mentions how the two of them had this said something along the lines of, huh, just another regular drug test. Wasn't Shelby dating Matthew Sensowitz at the time? Maybe this is a huge leap, but if anyone could or would sabotage a career, would it be a former NLP runner who is about to be dropped in the relationship? It sounds something like straight out of a Hollywood movie. And I'm a central fan myself, but it almost seemed too good to be true to confirm my hypothesis when I mentioned it, heard it mentioned at the press conference. That's the email of the week? That's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Centro knew he was going to get dropped, so he dopes her secretly? Or Centro <laughs> was going gonna to break, wanted to break up with her and really get her? I mean, like, people love conspiracy theories. I wish I knew the name of the professor's class I took in college. It was on conspiracy theories. And for some reason, people craft these, like, crazy-ass conspiracies. But, Robert, I guess, does that guy get a free pair of on shoes? I guess you decide. I'll check the voicemails for this week for the next thing. One other thing, Steel Town runner Paul Cantor, ultra marathon expert, he had a take on, on the whole Shelby Hole thing, thing, thing that he said he really hadn't heard other people say. And, and it's sort of, he's like, your job as a professional runner is, it really isn't not to do drugs. Your job is to not test positive. And Shelby did test positive. And like the Hanson Brooks have a rule. You test positive, you're off the team. So that's on you not to go to the food truck. That's on you not to do this. So, you know, it's kind of a strict liability rule. But Robert, okay. But I, I think a lot of athletes aren't aware. Let's assume that there was, I don't know. Let's assume that there have been some innocent food things in the past. I don't know if Shelby is or not. Now athletes, then they really need to get the word out. You cannot eat food that the rest of society eats. Because I think before we thought this stuff was a joke. Oh, these soccer players in Mexico are making this stuff up. Now, actually, we realize, no, this is real. This is tainted. You can't. But what can you eat? People need to eat beef. They need to eat pork. Sage Canada, some others accepted. But, like, the vast majority of people eat meat. So, you know, if I go buy meat at Trader Joe's, is that good? I don't know where to draw the line. But the drug test, if, if some athletes aren't doping or being banned, that's not a system I want. Whether Shelby Houlihan is one of those, I guess we'll find out. I agree 100%. And that's why everyone needs to read the 16 questions I have about this thing. Because I said this, we said this when it first came out. The system is not 
sustainable the way it's currently working. We can't be letting Ajay Wilson and Jordan Lawson off and then some other people aren't off, depending on who tests them, all for doing the same actions. Um, you either need to change the rules or make it clear what they can and cannot eat. And then and then the, the drug testing authorities themselves have got to hold themselves to the highest standard. And this was the main point that I made, or one of the main points, because I asked hard questions of the BTC. I was very upset by the way they did that press conference and made it sound like she ate a pork burrito when she didn't or didn't order a pork burrito. But as I said, to the, one of my questions was to the anti-doping authorities is, did the head of your Montreal lab lie in the Joanne Lawson case? And if so, was she investigated? Was she punished? Because if a runner made that type of mistake, the consequences would be absolutely severe. It would probably be considered obstructing a, a doping test and you would be banned from the sport. So if someone makes, I know all humans make mistakes and that's why we have, you know, right. we, we believe in not locking people up for the rest of their lives. But if she made that type of mistake, I don't understand how she's allowed to keep her job, to be honest, or not suspended or at least not prevented from testifying in cases or something. So that, you know, it's like the police. They're important, but we got to hold them to incredibly high standards. Let's start there before we start holding the runners to the same standards. Well, I don't think you have to assume malice. You, well, this is uh, the lab director who testified in the Jerry and Lawson case, and the assumption is she lied. She may just have given really inaccurate testimony, not realized it. It wasn't intentional, but inaccurate testimony at this level that would give someone a life sentence from their profession, I think you can't make that mistake. So that's all I want to say there. But John, I'm sure you got some pizza, some soccer to watch. I'm about 90% certain. I've said this in the past that there will be a video of this podcast, maybe just for subscribers. But it looks like, John, I've seen a TV on in the, in the background. Are you watching soccer right now, John? Or are you still paying attention? I'm still paying attention. The the Spain has just finished kicking the crap out of Slovakia. And we're in a lull before the big, I think it's France uh, versus France, Port- France, Portugal today, I think. I got to check what games games on. There's a big one at, at noon Pacific time. But yeah, I've cut, the place is ready for you to come here. Um, well then, are you, are you? When do you get in tomorrow? Because you got to still get your credential and everything before you're allowed to cover the meet. Like when do you, when does your flight arrive? And are you flying into Portland or Eugene? I fly to Eugene, John. I think I'll be there before noon. Okay, that's great. Because then you can get up, you get your credential, get to the meet. And uh, yeah, be, the, Eugene is waiting for you. People have been asking, where are the brochos? Is it just you? The people want their brothers Johnson. It's not the Olympic trials without let's run.com. So rest easy, people. Weldon is on his way. And John, you know when I'll be there, right? At the meet, that is. Oh, during the national anthem. Pretty much. I'm pretty much guaranteed to walk in during the national anthem. I sort of get there like the last second possible. And that pretty much means... I never look when the national anthem is being played. The anthem's being played. But no, Weldon. Here's the thing: uh, I've missed of the two of the four days of competition. I've missed two of the national anthems. They've started to play it. Like uh, my usual, my rule of thumb is I get there to make sure I'm there for the first running event. They've been playing it way early, like during field events or even before the field events start. So I've missed it two of the four days. So you might need to get there pretty early to make it for the national anthem. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, guys. Until tomorrow, for subscribers, for everyone else, till next week, thanks for listening. See you guys in Eugene. Thanks for listening. If you want daily podcast from the trials, become a Supporters Club member. Annual members get a free t-shirt and a summer training program. Everyone saves 20% off of running shoes and gets exclusive Let's Run content. 
letsrun.com slash subscribe. And also, get your free sample pack of Drink Elementy. Go to drinkelementy.com slash letsrun. You can check out in less than a minute on a phone. It's super easy. If you don't like this stuff, you pay $5 shipping. I will personally refund your money. Email me, wejo at letsrun.com, and I will send you your 5 bucks if you don't like this. you got to try it out.